You ever feel like you wish you could hear God speaking to you? You can through scripture. That is God's word. It's his active voice speaking to you right now, anytime you pick up the Bible. And today, I'll let me be, be frank, Bishop Caggiano is going to talk about, he's going to give us an intro into scripture and, uh, and, and talk about uh, what it can do for our lives and walk us through uh, some of the, the stories and the history of scripture. So keep your radio right here at 1350 AM or 103.9 FM, or keep us on the phone with the Veritas mobile app. And if you're enjoying Let Me Be Frank on an app or on podcast, you can help us out by going to your favorite podcast platform and giving us a five-star rating. And Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. My friend, we have a very interesting topic to talk about today. It's always good to see you. Right? Great to see you, Excellency. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait for today's uh, discussion. Yeah, because I, I thought to myself, we've talked about now encounter and accompaniment, and one of the ways to encounter the Lord is through the mystery of his inspired word, right? Sacred scripture. So I thought maybe we could spend a little bit of time exploring aspects of sacred scripture, you know, do like almost like a, a review. Cool. Uh, yeah, and get, get people, myself included, thinking about how the scriptures can really become m much more a part of our prayer life and a part of our, our devotional life. Yes. Right? Yeah. Okay. The first question I was going to ask, like the first area, would be to say, what do you consider the Bible to be? Yeah. Like, yeah. So how would you answer that question, I wonder? I would say the Bible is uh, not a book, but more like a library of books. Well said. Exactly. That's exactly the first point I wanted to make. Okay. That it's a library of divinely inspired books that narrate God's saving activity, first with his chosen people, Israel, and now coming to the, the fulfillment of the messianic hopes that were revealed in the Old Testament in Jesus Christ, right, who is the Savior and Redeemer. Yeah. And therefore, it's the fullness of revelation in the end, right? With, with the death of the apostles, right, revelation is, is complete. And so... It's a library, though. It's not like a complete narrative, meaning that there are different genres, there are different types of books, and they're read in different ways depending on what type of book you're, you're talking about. So it, it, there are 72 books in the Bible. And so there's a lot of reading. That's, that's a lot of pages. <laughs> and the first question I'm going to ask is, how many of us on this call... And in this podcast, who's, who are listening to us, how many have actually read the entire Bible from cover to cover? And and Father Mike Schmitz's podcast does not count. No, right? no, you no, mean... but no, exactly because that's like the cliff notes. <laughs> no, we're talking about the, the entire Bible, and, and and it's you know to be it's not easy. Yeah, 
it's it's not easy because there are some sections for example of the old testament where the 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 levitical law is explained where it it's from our perspective it seems so foreign to our experience yes and yet there is ins- inspired truth there that we need to if i'm if a lack of a better word we have to not only recognize but wrestle with what is it that the lord both revealed to the people of his t- of that time and also is teaching us right many right. centuries later but like for example in the, in the old testament right you have the pentateuch right which are the first five books of the bible which is called the torah then you have what's considered the historical books which really it, it, sometimes are called the former prophets but it basically that narrates Saul's kingdom David's kingdom Solomon the history of the kingships right up to the divisions right in 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 the kingdom of of uh, of David then we have the prophets which i must tell you is one of my favorite sections of the bible because i i very much um many times am deeply convicted by what the prophets say you know of course they're speaking to god's chosen people at the time right. but if if you and i read it right for what it is that is also god's inspired word that is also teaching us there's a lot of what they condemn people that many times is fodder for my confession as well hmm. right and then you have the books of the writings and the wisdom and all the rest of it. All right, so that's one. So now I have used the word inspired maybe three, four times. I think we need to spend some time examining what that means. So when we use the word inspired, we are literally using the word inspirare, that is to breathe into the, in the spirit. And... To say that the books of the Bible are inspired means that they are divinely guided through the power of the Holy Spirit to convey the essential truths that God intends in the moment that it's written and for future generations to convey to us for our own salvation. Therefore, they are not dictation. Hmm. They are inspiration. Yes. And there are some religious traditions who hold dictation. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong here, but the Quran, the, the claim is that it is dictated. The Book of Mormon, the claim is that it is dictated by God. Right. But, but we are not saying that. We are saying that. So there's a human agency, author, chosen, who himself is not perfect, mm-hmm. is not free of error. But the inspiration is the guidance of the Holy Spirit right in mind affectivity and in the writing so that the truth is conveyed fully and completely for our salvation so that raises the question of the nature of the truth now you, we've spoken about truth on this podcast many times right and the truth is conveyed in many ways in this case when we speak of the inspired books the truth that is essential is the truth that is of our salvation it does not necessarily mean that there are no perhaps factual errors in the books because the factual error is not essential that detail whatever it is is not essential to our salvation 
Right. So that's why you read the we read the prism. We read the scriptures through a prism that is kind of unique to the situation, right, of, the, of what we're talking about here. Yes. And many times, you know, and I'm sure you've, and I'd be curious to see what you think. I mean, we have had conversations with neighbors and friends. Young people will look at the Bible and say, well, you know, this is not, this is not factually correct, this is not historically correct, whatever it happens to be. Right. And therefore, how, how, do you, how do you have me believe that? But the point is, that which is essential is divinely guaranteed to be truthful and correct. And the rest is read in the genre, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes people misunderstand that, and therefore they say, well, I'm not going to believe this because this sounds mythical. But that's not the point. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So inerrancy is part of the inspirational guarantee that it is, a, a, there is no error in inspir inspired revelation. Because if there were error in the things that really pertain to our salvation and the message we need to, to, to hear and adhere to for our salvation, then we're doomed. Right? Then we would have no possibility of saying this is the foundation upon which we can stand. Right. Part of the difficulty that comes with scripture, if I could say it in those terms, is that the scripture without context is itself can be problematic even when the material is inerrant. So, those who say sola scriptura, that it's only scripture that's necessary for our salvation, sometimes, leave aside the question of how do you interpret that which is in Scripture? How do you interpret the message that's given to us? How do you understand it? And who decides its ultimate authoritative meaning? And I think in many ways, if we don't understand right, that it's also the church that is the interpretive tool and the church itself is guided by the Holy Spirit, then you could easily put yourself in the position to make yourself the author authoritative interpreter. And that can't be. Right? Yes. Then you are basically a ship. I think you're a ship without a compass or a rudder that's going to get you to safe harbor. So mm -hmm. the church preceded the writing of the New Testament. It is the context for which the New Testament was written, which is the salvation of the members of the body of Christ, and it becomes the authoritative tool through the magisterium for that which is the essential, complete, correct interpretation of the truths that are revealed to us in Revelation. So, my friend, does Tot that make sense? Yes. That yep. The church was there. Right. Jesus left okay. us a church not a a collection of books and the right. and the church was and the church no, please. was the authority that put the bible together and so they are also the authority that correctly interprets the bible and scripture guided by the holy spirit and yes. in the magisterium 
Right. So what's what's the connecting factor is the same Holy Spirit who inspired the authors is the same Holy Spirit who invites, inspires the census fidelium, same Holy Spirit who inspires the magisterium to be the authoritative teachers. So that's yes. where the continuity is. Right. So there's so now part of what I think trips up a lot of people, particularly in the Old Testament, right? But even in the New Testament, but particularly in the Old Testament are some of what is narrated as like almost given fact, which now we would look back and say, no, no, this is not acceptable. For example, that some of the great kings of Israel, many had concubines or had multiple wives. And you say, well, where did that come from? Or one could say, that there's an awful lot of violence in the Old Testament, particularly. Like, where did that come? Like, how, how is that part of inspired scripture? Like, and even some of the things that St. Paul says, right? There's a passage of St. Paul where he speaks about slavery, right? And he speaks about be good to your, your, your mm-hmm. basically your slave owner. And, and people say, well, what, what is right. all that all about? Right? And I think, part of what we have to remember is that it is text in context, that there has been an evolution over the centuries as, as revelation has become more full and now definitive in Jesus Christ, that there's been a growing understanding of that which is essential, that which is the fullness of God's revelation and will for us. So David, Solomon, and all the rest of them, so they were they lived in their own cultural context when this practice was common. As you move further and further and further, that practice dies away and disappears. So there's an, a, a reawakening, right, of right. the true meaning. So it's not so much that God necessarily said, well, this is a good thing, but this is the context, and he's leading yes. them forward. Same thing with slavery. Paul lived in a time in the Roman Empire where slavery was part of the established structure of society. We look back and say it's an abhorrent right. sin. But in his human in his humanity, he was not he was not capable of separating that yet. The right. church has now over time. That's why the spirit still guides the interpretation. Yes. Right. So we could see that now. It raises another question. Another question, extremely important question, super important question. If the cultural context very much is a factor, how does that apply to Jesus? So Jesus in his full humanity, although he's fully God, lived in a particular context in a particular world with particular cultural norms. So can we say that certain things that appear in the New Testament are culturally bound, no different than what we described in the Old Testament or Paul's understanding of slavery, and that therefore in the ongoing understanding through inspiration, but more importantly, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, can we say that therefore they are time-bound and not part of the essential deposit for our salvation? 
So case in point, Jesus chose 12 men. Is that just culturally bound? Can that change over time? And therefore, the answer, to answer that question, you need to ask another question. And that is, what is essential for our salvation in the gift of inspired revelation? What ultimately is absolutely key so that when God willed it, that he was willing exactly what he knew he was willing for this deposit that would be our roadmap to eternal life. So the fact that Jesus approached a Samaritan woman who was a sinner and touched her and asked for water, he understood the culture and he was breaking them all. But in certain areas, in certain things, he chose not to, and they are in fact salvation. They are essential to our salvation. So the apostolic foundation of the church is not a mistake. It's not haphazard. And whatever the choice was made is not culturally bound. It is the choice God made. Yes. Right? And therefore, in our understanding of it, as it's portrayed, at least from my point of view, that is a definitive choice on God's part. And so that is not culturally bound in the deposit of Revelation, right, which is the Scriptures, right? It's found in the Scriptures. So who decides in the end what is the essential message for our salvation? Well, I think that is where the Church in its entirety, but the Magisterium in particularity, over the centuries has made mm-hmm. that very clear. Again, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So what's the takeaway here? To speak of the sacred scriptures demands a tremendous amount of study and reflection if you're going to do it in the mind of the church, right? That they are there certainly as a font to encounter Christ in our prayer. But that doesn't, and I recommend everyone do use the scriptures every day in prayers. I try to do it every day. But that doesn't absolve us from really studying the scriptures, studying their background, their literary genre, their history, the cultural context, as I was referring to. Because that's extremely important for us to come to understand what it is God is asking, what he's saying, right? There are many senses to Scripture, and one of them is the literal sense, but we have to understand all that to further understand what he's really trying to tell us. That's why we do it for a lifetime as Christians, and that's why I'm delighted when we mentioned about giving birth to the school of preaching and the school of biblical studies for everybody in the diocese, because this could be exciting adventure for all of us to really dig deeper into the Scriptures and kind of understand them, and then therefore understand more, more completely and fully the truth that he's revealing to us mm-hmm. that is inerrant mm-hmm. and inspired. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what do you want to talk about? You want to talk about the New Testament uh, or Old let's, Testament? Uh, let's start with the Old. Let's start with the Old Testament. Okay. So, you know, I was preparing for this. I dug out. I, I, I taught scripture for a while when I was young, a long time ago. And I found a lot of my oh, old wow. teaching notes, which is kind of, oh yeah, I save everything. What, yeah. And some of this stuff is not even on my hard drive. I, this, 
I'm, I don't think I typed them, but I mean, <laughs> just, they're old. Let's put it that way. So the Old Testament is the narration of the covenants leading to the ultimate Mosaic covenant that God made yes. with his chosen people. And so the first thing we have to remember is God's call is irrevocable. And therefore the covenants are irrevocable. The coming of the Lord, right, fulfills, but doesn't abolish the covenants that God made. God doesn't change his mind, he changes his word. And the history of the Old Testament spans more than 2,000 years. So when you look at the Pentateuch, you speak of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? That's the, uh, the, the, uh, what I was going to say is the foundational salvation history for all humanity, right? From the creation to the freeing of God's people, it's Abraham, Moses, right? And every Lent, as I've said before, I reread Exodus for my prayer because mm -hmm. the new Moses, who is the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of St. Matthew, has come to liberate us right, definitively through the waters of baptism, but the waters of the Red Sea prefigure all that, right? Who is your favorite character in the Old oh, Testament? Oh, gosh. Do um, you have one? I, uh, I have a couple. I love Ruth, who was so faithful to her mother-in-law, oh. Naomi. I love that story. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I love David because he was so flawed but he was a man after God's own heart yes he, yes he got A plus for, for <laughs> <Right>. effort <laughs> yeah I don't know about conduct but effort <laughs> but, he, but he understood that too and he appreciated it and the one line that he said always is with me every day where he said who am I and what is my house that you have brought me this far. I feel like that every day. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, uh, the Book of Esther. Yes, oh God. It's another story. What another great hero. Yeah. yeah, and of course I'm paraphrasing, but it's something, there's a line there that says, "If it is it not for just this moment yes. that you have yes. called me forth, right? Yeah, and the salvation of, of the Jewish yeah. people. But but I must confess, all of my favorite figures land in the historical books. Right? Or maybe that's an exaggeration. All right, Moses mm -hmm. is up there too, I think. But but to your point, I agree with you. David gives me tremendous hope because it, it it's deeply encouraging to me that God can choose a flawed vessel to be the power of his grace, right? And in some way, shape or form, there's, there's a powerful story of repentance and redemption in David mm -hmm. with Bathsheba, yes. right? And how he sinned profoundly and God forgave him profoundly. Um, and then the passing on of the, uh, of the kingdom to Solomon, right? Yes. Known for his wisdom, that famous story yes. of the two women, yeah. right? 
who argued. You know the story. Yeah, Tell so the story. Uh, two, after he, uh, God promised uh, him uh, any gift he wanted, and he prayed for wisdom, which was such a wise choice already. But uh, And then later, mm-hmm. uh, two women came claiming uh, the same baby. They both uh, lived in the same house. One woman, uh, they both were pregnant and had babies. One died, and the and the surviving baby was claimed by both women. And so Solomon said, "Okay, here's what we'll do: we will uh, we will cut the baby in half, and you can each have half." And one of the mothers said, "Sounds great. That's a good solution." And the other one said, "No, no, no. Let the other one take the baby and." Solomon knew right away that she was truly the mother of the child. Uh, you see, <laughs> yeah. you see, yeah. exactly, right, right, and 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 we we still use that word. It's Solomonic, right? When you actually make a decision that's mm-hmm. prudential and wise, right? You're acting like Solomon, and he yes. created the temple. He had riches beyond, and yes. but even he squandered it. Right? Oh, he, he was fell so into flawed sin. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So. Yeah, but let's do the history of the Old Testament just for the sake of our listeners and for our own sake. Yeah, we have time before the break, right? So, at the very beginning in the Pentateuch, we have creation, right? From Adam to Noah. Now, didn't you find that very interesting? There was an article that I stumbled upon recently in the last week that said that they had found possibly on the top of a mountain the outline of what looks to be somewhat what is described as Noah's Ark. Really? Huh. Yeah. In fact, I was going to, if, if I, I ran out of time, I was going to see if I could dig it out even for this podcast. And it is a rock earth formation. So obviously it, in Noah's Ark, yes. it was made of wood, of course. And so it would have disintegrated. But almost like any other fossil, it would make an uh-huh. outline, an imprint, and they discovered it. And to the aerial view, honestly, it looks like oh my gosh. an ark. But yeah. it's on top of a mountain. Like you say to yourself, well, who's going <laughs> to do this on the top of it, even if you wanted to build it or make it? So that's just the answer. All those things, when they come up, I just find them, even mm-hmm. like with the Dead Sea Scrolls and how they verify a lot of the parahistory of the New Testament, it only goes to show you that a lot of the skepticism out there and a lot of this kind of like um, agnostic attitude that this is all made up, you know, you wonder to yourself, as we peel back more and more archaeology, more and more of what we, you know, the secular world says, oh, this is all made up, is really yeah. not made up, even from a historical point yes. of view. It's not at all. It's fascinating. All right. Then we have the age of the patriarchs, which goes from 2000 B.C., to 1700 BC, right? 20 centuries before Christ was even born. And the three great patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, Abraham, Jacob. And what about Joseph? What about the story of Joseph and his 12 brothers? Right? And how they left him for dead because of the jealousy they had that the, the love of his father for him. And he was the one who saved his family and his people, all right? When he took, when he was given control and authority, right, in Egypt. How God can work, it's extraordinary. And again, a story of repentance, sin and repentance, right? 
Then we have the Exodus, right? So the slavery of the Jews into Egypt was roughly 1300 BC. And Moses comes on the scene afterwards. And you know the story, right, of the Exodus. First, there yes. are the plagues that refused right. to move Pharaoh because of his conjurers and magicians. And then it was ultimately the yes. firstborn dying that he released the Jews and soon repented and went after them to <laughs> right. enslave them again. It's like yeah. madness. <laughs> it's absolute madness. He does. And the crossing of the Red Sea. Which Joshua right, is able, after Moses yes. dies, he yes. can do the same thing. Yes. Right? Excellency, let's, let's take a, and let's they come, hold right there and just take a quick pause for the break. Good. We'll stop in the desert. We'll come back. Yes. Okay. All right. So this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network, walking through scripture, and uh, we will be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, so, Excellency, we are uh, in the desert now. Uh, Moses has just passed away and it yep. is now Joshua's turn. Yes, to continue to lead God's people. And, and it gives birth to the age of the judges. And this is interesting, right? Because before there was a monarchy, th there was great resistance to have a monarchy because God mm -hmm. is, is the king. So to have a king rule over you would have been seen as um, an affront to God. So the Jews resisted it for a long time. And so they had judges. And some of the judges actually were women mm -hmm. who would lead, right? They were literally the judges. They were the arbiters of what needed to be decided to keep God's people, right, together and unified moving forward. But then eventually, um, the Jews petitioned, remember Samuel, the prophet, and they petitioned to have a monarchy and God allowed them to have a king in part because of the organization of the peoples in the, in the Middle East, that without a monarch, 
the judges really could not hold God's people together, couldn't defend them, could not. And of course, the first king of Israel is? Saul. Right. And he, of course, David and Goliath, and David comes forward, and he works with Saul, and now suddenly Saul gets jealous, more sin, and here we have <laughs> that Saul <laughs> wants to kill David. Right. And then he's removed. He's removed because mm -hmm. he lost God's favor. Mm -hmm. And then David takes over, as we spoke about, and then Solomon. So now David ruled from 1,000, it's estimated from 1,000 BC to 962. Hmm. Solomon ruled from 961 to 922 BC. And then, uh, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly, there is then, right after his dying, is the division of the kingdoms, right? Into the northern and southern kingdoms. The kingdom of Israel in the north, mm -hmm. with 10 tribes come together to form the kingdom, and the two southern tribes become the kingdom of Judah in the south. And so they live divided for what? For almost 400 years. Wow. Which is almost twice as old as the United States is now. Yeah. <laughs> it's divided. Right? Israel in the north is the first to fall. So it lasted from 922 to 721 BC. So roughly 200 years. And they fell at the hands of the Assyrians. In the south, Judah lasted all the way to 587. So it was like almost 350 years. And they went into exile in Babylon. And that's where all the prophets arose. And, right. right. Then we have the post-exilic period where there was the restoration of the temple, Ezra, Nehemiah, right? The era of the Persian influence. Yes. And then we end with the Greeks, right? And, that's, and now in this time of year, we read in the Office of Readings, the book of Maccabees. Mm. and the resistance to everything that the, that the Greeks wanted to impose on the Jews. Yes. Right? In great valor. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. They were awesome. <laughs> mm -hmm. The one thing I think that's important for us to realize that where the histories converge, right, meaning the history of the Old Testament and the history of the New Testament converge, is that the Roman procurators, they began as early as 63 BC to govern right, the Jewish people. So Pontius Pilate was in a long list of procurators by the time right, the Lord had begun his ministry. And when the Lord was sentenced to death by Rome, right, it was almost 37 years later, give or take, where the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So now remember, there were long periods of the, the building of the temple, its destruction, the building of the temple, its destruction. But now this destruction of the temple in 70 AD marked the, the full shift to rabbinical Judaism from a temple sacrifice right. for the Jews, which which then in the psyche of, of the, new, the newborn church, the sacrifice of the temple is no longer needed because of the one irrepeatable sacrifice of Christ on the cross. He is our new priest who gives birth to a new priesthood. So you could see how the two kind of like are intermeshed. Yes. 
right? One over yeah. the other. It, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite a history. I must confess. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then we have the New Testament. So now, how would you define the New Testament, my friend? Uh, you mean the structure of the New Testament in the Bible? No, itself, like if I never heard of it, what would you say? Like oh. I, I know you Christians, what is this New Testament? What would you say? Yeah. How would you describe it? I would say it's the uh, it's the uh, the 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 life of Jesus mm-hmm. portrayed uh, through uh, eyewitnesses or secondhand witnesses, mm-hmm. uh, followed by um, all of the acts that his apostles did, including. Um, Paul. Yeah. And uh, especially yeah. Paul and John. Yes. Okay. Yep. And Jude and Peter. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and James. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But it's so it's the divinely inspired word of God that narrates the saving activity that comes to us through Jesus Christ and his mystical body, the church. Hmm. And when Revelation ends, tradition continues. So we're still unfolding the meaning of Revelation, even though it's complete in this period. So the centerpiece of the New Testament are the Gospels. And we know, you've, we've, it's very popular in these days, you know, it's the good news. Gospel means good news. Yeah, it is, yes. But it's an e-evangelium. So it is a proclamation of, I'm going to say, the best news, mm-hmm. not just good news. Yeah, a lot of good news. It's the yeah. best news. Yeah, All right. The offer of salvation. So, at the heart of the Gospels is the charisma, right? And that is at the heart of the one that I've been talking about for like ten months. It's to read the Gospels that have different portraits painted of Christ because of the different contexts from which the evangelists write, but always divinely inspired and always inerrant for the truth of our salvation, that contains a basic question. It's a basic offer. Do you accept his kingship. Do you accept the offer of him being the savior? Do you accept being baptized into his death and resurrection? Do you believe that he is the hope and salvation of all things? It's either yes or no. And if it's maybe, it's going to have to move to yes. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) That's what it comes down to. So, I'm going to challenge all of us on this podcast to reread, reintroduce ourselves to the Gospels precisely in that way. Because before they were written, they were oral, mm-hmm. right? The Gospels really are the compilation of an oral tradition that came from the apostles, Our Lady, the earliest disciples, to when the evangelists actually put them into writing. And part of the reason they put them into writing is that, as you said very well, the eyewitnesses were dying. So to make sure that the narrative was kept correctly, they needed to be written down. Yeah. 
So in that period, it was an oral tradition, and that oral tradition literally is born in the upper room. It's it's literally comes from the Lord's preaching. So there is an unbroken line, even though there is a a, a gap in the writing of it, but there's no gap in the gospel per se. Right. Yes. So Jesus is offering his listeners salvation, the offer to follow him, to believe in him. So we should see the gospels in the same way. It's the offer being made to us. And if you read them in those fresh eyes, then the gospels take on a very different glow, do they not? Yeah, yeah. In, in one way, it's if, if you read the gospels and pray over the gospels as filling in the information about Jesus and the church, giving you a sense of how you ought to live, right? Uh, giving us a sense of who this Jesus is, all of that is important. But if it doesn't scream out, do you believe in him? Are you willing to follow him? Are you willing to love him? Then we're missing the essential element in the gospel. Yes. Right? Yeah. So the four gospels, it's interesting. We, in, in the traditional outline of, of the Bible, it's, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the bed I lay upon if I die before, you know, the whole story that you learn when you're a kid. But in fact, historically, the oldest of the Gospels is not Matthew, right? But it's St. Mark. And it's also the shortest of the Gospels. Yes. Right? So the general scholarship indicates that the Gospel of Mark was written, finalized, right? around 65 AD, which means it's approximately 30 plus years after the death and resurrection of the Lord. And when you read it, as we've all read it, you'll notice in the details that it seems that the Gospel of Mark is written to a non-Jewish audience, in part because Mark stops to explain some of the customs the Jews have, mm -hmm. which you would presume if the audience were Jewish, they would know why the customs existed. Right. That's that premise, but you know, the Jews wash the, 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 the vessels and all the rest. So, which is interesting. And therefore, Jesus is presented in the Gospel of Mark as Messiah and Son of God. The Messiah is the anointed one, right? The one who was the beautiful image, right? When Jesus goes to the synagogue and opens up the role of, of the, from the prophet Isaiah, and he says, this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing when he describes the prophecy of, you know, of um, going to the poor and liberating and, yes. and, and healing the sick. He says, so he's the anointed one, right? Later on, the same word, the same concept in different words, be the Christ, right? He's the anointed one. The Gospel of Matthew was written, composed 10 years later in 75 AD, and it was certainly written for a Jewish audience. And he uses any opportunity he can to demonstrate to his audience that Jesus does fulfill the expectations of the Old Testament, right? That he fulfills the expectations of the Messiah. He is the new Moses. Beautiful. Then we have the Gospel of Luke, which is written slightly later. The estimate is about 80 to 85 AD, so maybe four or five years later. And this is written specifically to Greeks. And it portrays Jesus as the universal savior. Now, universal savior. 
What does that mean? That Jesus did not come to save only the Jews as fulfilling the, the promises of the covenant, but he came to save all humanity. That includes the Samaritan women. That includes the prodigal son. <laughs> that includes the poor and the outcast. Mm. That includes everybody. So you see, even if you hold Mark and Luke side by side, how one completes the picture of the other, right? Through the divine inspiration. Yes. And how the idea that Jesus is the universal savior would have been probably very difficult for some of his earliest disciples to understand since they saw him solely within the context of Judaism. Right. But the spirit had more to reveal. Yes. And then we have the great theologian, John. And general scholarship says the Gospel of John is the latest of the four, written around 100, 110 AD. So now you're talking, what, almost 70 years after right. the death and resurrection of Jesus. So how many generations is that? Three, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. So it's written as an instruction for the early church, but also... It is the most profoundly developed theologically. So we, we speak of the logos. We speak of the word of God descending from heaven, right? And therefore, it's the one that I think, when, when at least when I pray over it, is the one that gives me the greatest entree to a theological reflection on, on what the other three also reveal. So the, the three, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, are synoptics, mm -hmm. and John is not. Steve, have you ever asked the question, what does the actual word synoptic mean? No. No? no Isn't that interesting? I, yeah. Yeah, and we well, just call it, and, and we say because there's synoptic gospels, they share some material amongst themselves. There's right. the Q source and all this other stuff that they talk about other sources. But the truth is, synoptic means seen with the same eye. Hmm. That in effect, one could argue that Matthew, Mark, and Luke share the same material, give different glimpses, but their starting points are relatively similar in so much as they're narrating the events of salvation history in Jesus Christ. Different sources. John is reflect. he's narrating, but he's reflecting on the meaning mm -hmm. of the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. So he does stand apart. Yeah. He sees it with a bit of a different eye. Questions? Any I was just going to say it's it's uh, it's so interesting because you know people people might or I've heard people say well the gospels were written so far after Jesus' death but in reality you're saying that Matthew and Mark were written 30, 35 years after which puts us like if we're doing today like that's Ronald Reagan that's not that long ago and then even John would be like JFK and there are still people alive today who were you know, mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. alive during JFK's uh, presidency. So it's not that long. Yeah, the other thing too is I think the the whole question of who actually is the author of the Gospels, 
So is it the Apostle Matthew who actually is the evangelist? Is it the Apostle John who actually is the evangelist who wrote the book? Or is it his school, that is, those he taught, who eventually put it into writing? I think, to be honest, that is, that's kind of like, um, how can I put this? That's wasting energy in my estimation, <laughs> right? Because under the guidance and influence, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I don't think that's relevant. Right. But even John, John was a young man when Jesus um, died. Mm-hmm. It is conceivable he could have been. He would have been very old. He could have been alive to mm-hmm. guide it. But suddenly he taught the disciples that were his disciples, mm-hmm. right? That which eventually was written down. So it, it, he is the author, right? Yes. yes. So if I write it or I dictate it, am I the author? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right? Yep. By the way, at the very beginning of our podcast, I must I misspoke because I said there were 72 books, but actually there are 27 books and 46 books, and my math is not my strong suit. So it's actually 73, not 72. So before we get all these corrected emails, yeah. all right? Okay. That's why I'm a priest. I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> okay. What's the Acts of the Apostles? Author is? Luke. All right. So what, what, give us the 40,000 foot view. Oh gosh! Yeah, so it tells it tells the story of uh, of what the apostles did uh, Mm -hmm. after Jesus's uh, resurrection, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and uh, it tells the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, right, right. Yep, it does. It doesn't whitewash anything. No. Um. So, it was written by Saint Luke, and it is really the if one could call it uh, the historical book of the birth of the church, mm-hmm. right? The inspired historical book. The first 12 chapters of the Acts of the Apostles relate the events that happened in Palestine and Asia Minor. The bulk of the Acts of the Apostles really narrates Paul's missionary journeys, right? Yes. To Judea and throughout the Roman world. Leading up to his imprisonment in Rome, but that's where it stops. So we don't have an inspired narrative of the death of St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Or the death of St. Peter, for that matter. Mm-hmm. But that's where tradition tells us clearly what did happen. Yes. What I find interesting in the Acts of the Apostles is the rough and tumble of the early church. The very fact that we had the Council of Jerusalem yeah. and the great disagreement between St. Peter and St. Paul, yes. again, gives me great consolation. Because even in the earliest church, where they had personal encounter and memory with Jesus Christ, right? There was not the unanimity initially, but it became unanimous and it became clear through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this whole idea of listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and and, and submission of mind, heart, and will to that was true then and it's true now. What do you think about the book? Of, well, of course, we spoke about the epistles, and the epistles literally, the word epistle means letter. Yes. Right? And it could be written to a, a community, a city, an individual, right? And most of the time, it's exhortation, it's encouragement, it's correction. Paul loved yes. to make sure we, he set people straight as to yeah. what they were doing or not doing. Some of it gets really very direct. Some, yep. some of it. Um, Corinth. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He had a, and, and again, so like I, 
as a preacher of the gospel, I say to myself, my goodness, if St. Paul were in the pulpit now, what would he say? <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah. Right. But he did it out of love. Right. Right. So I think in the it, it, it's because it's, the early church in its earliest days, there were so many forces arrayed against it to try to stamp it out. And it's not just the Romans, but it's also division. It's itinerant preachers. Remember the whole question of Apollos and all the rest, mm -hmm. even with the best of intentions to do tremendous harm. Mm -hmm. And St. Paul kind of always focuses it back. But before we go to the second break, let's talk about the book of Revelation. What do yes. you make of that? Wow. Uh, <laughs> what a story. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> it's misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Because again, the genre is apocalyptic. It's apocalyptic. So therefore, it uses symbols and imagery to convey basic truths. The perfect example, 666, is the numeral, numerical equivalent to the name Nero, who at the time was the emperor who began the persecution of the church. Of all the books of the New Testament, this is the book that needs to be studied most carefully so that the truth it conveys, yes. that is God's divine message, is understood correctly. And tradition holds that St. John wrote it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So again, his theological reflection allows us to do this. And people will say, well, why did he have to use it? Why didn't you just say what you have to say? Well, in fact, when you're being persecuted, which had already begun at that point, if you were that blunt, you were signing your death warrant. Right. His task was not to avoid martyrdom. His task was to convey this divine truth to the future generations of the church. It's not that he was afraid to die, yeah. but he had, he had a purpose, a mission, and he had to do it in a way where that truth could be conveyed. Yeah. He was already in exile at the time on Patmos. So, yeah. That's right. Exactly. Right, because Our Lady had already been assumed into heaven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, just as an aside, in this book that I was reading about the compilation of the mystics, in that book, it indicates that Mary did not assume into heaven at 72, but she was in her early 60s, which, which came as news to me. Huh. And again, it's, this is private revelation, so it doesn't demand submission of faith, right? But nonetheless, it was surprising, because tradition is always, at least I understood it to be 72, which would then make John much younger than Our Lady, I presume, although not much younger, would have been probably in the 60s, Yeah, I'm guessing. Right. Fascinating. When, hmm. Imagine what heaven's going to be like when all of this is clear, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of, oh, that's what it is. <laughs> that's what it was, exactly. I just love, uh, listen, uh, before we break, bottom yes. line is, the scriptures are a great treasure. Quoting St. Jerome, he was ignorant of scripture is ignorant of the Lord Jesus. Hmm. Paraphrasing. Yes. Right? So I'm going to encourage everyone who's listening to get an introduction to the New Testament and Old Testament. Open up the sacred scriptures. Pray over them. Get a commentary that's worthwhile. Read it through. And, and it, God will not cease to amaze how much he will teach your mind and heart. Amen. Okay, on that, let's take our second break and we will be back on the other side with a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Be right back. 
It's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. All right, Excellency. Here is a uh, uh, um, here's this week's listener question. Mm-hmm. It says, Bishop Frank, can you explain exactly what these guilds are that you mentioned during the October 15th Mass? The St. Luke's Guild, for example. Yep. What are they for and what do mm-hmm. they do? Mm-hmm. First of all, I want to thank the person who handed in the question that they're actually paying attention. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. What, what the guild is basically a simple concept. It comes out of a medieval, and that's not a bad word, by the way, the medieval practice right. of individuals who share perhaps a vocation or a state in life come together to support each other in spirit and in faith. In this case, what we're doing is we're creating guilds so that people, for example, of like vocation, can have the opportunity to continue to grow in their personal life of faith. Also meet individuals who also in the same profession take their faith life seriously. And also be able to get the support they need to be faithful in a very complicated world. So we started with doctors and nurses and healthcare workers because that world ethically is facing so many challenges in in our secular world. Yes. And how does a doctor remain faithful to his faith and not get fired um, for doing what he will not do anyway, right? For example, that violates or a nurse or whatever else it may be, or, or questions of life and death, like when do you stop extraordinary means to, to sustain a life, mm-hmm. right? So these are the questions. Transgenderism, how, what's the church's stance to be able to get people to understand, at least in healthcare, what it is that they're facing. So we we want to create a guild for a lot of different vocations. We started with doctors and we're going to work the rest of this year till next summer to figure out how we can make this work. And then the template will be used for other groups as well. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, it's really taking the faith um, out of just, just the pews and really bringing it into every aspect of our lives. Right. And the truth is, my friend, it's not so much that, let's say, 10 doctors get together to hear what the chaplain has to say or the, but they will learn from each other. Mm, Yes. Support each other. Yeah. Right. Great. So if you have a question for Bishop Frank, you can send it in on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Awesome, Excellency. Great to be with you, my friend. Yes, and then I'll just ask you uh, for your blessing for all of us. Let's pray together. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, 
is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, my friend. Enjoy the these days of fall. They're beautiful. Yes, it's perfect. And yeah. I'll see you next week. Yep, all the best. <laughs>